Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Each week, we bring you the Dewing Grain Market Report, giving you up-to-date information and insider advice, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues while sampling a beer. Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's Market Report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows is my thoughts or gut instincts of what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market Report for week commencing 9th of March 2020. We'll start this week's report with some really happy news. Ian Webster, the very serious man in our office, has become a father. His daughter was born on Monday in the evening, and uh, we don't know the name yet, and we haven't had a glimpse of her yet, but um, yeah, we're very, very pleased for Ian, and we now know his life is going to change completely and we're looking forward to his sensible nature coming out anyway with that very happy news what can we make other happy news i know sterling has dropped three percent which is a direct result of the realization that our negotiators are going to pull out with no deal at the end of the year so the pound we expect over the rest of the year to drop because we do not believe we'll get a deal with europe that's me remona remoaning forever but um i guess the best thing about all this is at some point with the Brexiteers having everything they wanted, they aren't going to have anyone to blame. It won't be the Europeans' fault. It won't be the Ramonas' fault. It will be, well, we'll wait and see. It probably will be the Ramonas' fault as far as they're concerned. But if we do end up with no deal, it is bad news for the pound in the short term. Although somewhere in 2150, we might see a recovery in sterling. So that off my chest. All seed rape has gone up because of the drop in sterling. So May X 326, which is very pleasing. And new crop prices haven't really moved. So 310 delivered store harvest, 320x for November. The only excitement in that, other than the sterling drop, is Argentina added 3% to soya, the tariff on exports on soya for contracts over 1,000 tonnes. But, I mean, it kind of means that they're going to add a bigger cost to their export of soya. So there's been a small movement up in soya prices. Moving on to cereals, feed barley, X farm for May 126. Um, we've had that conversation and it is happily plodding along. Uh, there's the odd boat going out and there's the odd bit of feed barley being traded. Our recommendation, as before, is to tidy it up and get it sold. Feed wheat, that's a complex one. It's quite hard to get your, your farmer to sell you feed wheat at the moment. And so anyone who's got March deliveries to be had has to kind of scrap around to try and find it. We are paying 146 X farm for March and April, and May. I don't really want May weeks. I've got too much of it already. April, I could do with a bit more. March, I could do with a bit more. And so the price is the same for all three months. Quite why people won't sell March is beyond me. If you were selling it for June, you'd make 148. And if you wanted 150x farm, we would pay you that for July. So our view is that the coronavirus, which is hitting stocks, I think is the overriding influence of sentiment and market movement and I you know that's just again my views are gut instinct opinion and they can be right they can be wrong as you readily know I would just say that I think the overriding sentiment of all markets cereals are related or all commodities are related really to oil prices we've got the E10 announcement from the government saying we're going to increase in our fuel the additives of biofuel so 
the dynamic of fuel is downwards in this current climate with um, no aeroplanes flying, etc., etc. So I think that will come to pass to push us down. It's just for some reason sitting there and holding at the moment. I'm not being overly pessimistic. I don't think the market's going to collapse, certainly not on new crop, because we're going to be importing and it boils down to imported prices being the thing that is the ceiling on the market. If we go much cheaper than that, what's the point of selling it? You know, you're not going to import it if the price of UK wheat is 160 and imports 170 so it won't go much lower than say 150x for november but it is quite in the short term i guess when the sun shines next week and the temperatures are going up and things are beginning to grow be aware of the sentiment or the feeling that makes some people come out and sell it so i think short term in the next week we're going to see the market heading in a southwards direction and no one likes to hear that do they so thanks for listening have a great week's trading Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. Crush Foods produces a unique range of single variety cold pressed rapeseed oils. All their seed is grown here in Norfolk. They only press a single variety for its taste and they believe that this is what gives the oil the light nutty flavour people like. Available in local shops across Norfolk, Suffolk and beyond. Visit crush-foods.com for more information. And now it's time for Farm Chat. Today I've got with me Caroline Drummond, MBE. Hello, Caroline. Hello there. And I've just listened to one of your fantastic speeches or deliveries. Oh, thank you. We've been to the uh, Holcomb Farming Conference, which I've got to say was excellent. It was full of energy. It was, it was fantastic. And the girls had it, I've got to say. The, present, <laughs> the presentation from yourself, from Emily Norton and from Lizzie Emma was just each one of you. It was full of energy. I think there must have been a huge amount of take-home messages. Yeah for the farmers that came along, um, and some good discussion over lunch and coffee, so that was great. The value of carbon there, yeah, we will get into that one in a minute. Yes. But firstly, Caroline, so just tell everyone exactly what is your role. Right, so I'm the Chief Executive at LEAF, Linking Environment and Farming. I've been very fortunate. I've been running the organisation since we started back in June 1991. It was literally a table and a pencil back in those days. Mm-hmm. And we have now developed as an organisation because of the wonderful people that we work with, the farmers, fabulous farmers, some really good board members, and uh, of course a fabulous team uh, in the LEAF office now. Uh, Caroline, if anyone doesn't know this, is someone who manages to praise everybody around her whilst seemingly doing nothing herself. (laughs) Modesty. Easy life. I I could take some lessons. I met you when I first went to Aylsham in 1996 and David Richardson was chairman. Yes. And I believe we planted a tree at Morley because it had just become a leaf farm. A leaf demonstration farm, yes. So we now have 40 leaf demonstration farms around the country and um, those are farms who are real can-do farmers. Mm -hmm. They are constantly adapting, experimenting, but driving the borders of sustainability. And so for us, obviously, since we started, integrated farm management, integrated crop management and sort of integrated pest management have been key drivers for the organisation and uh, our demonstration farmer network. And now, uh, on top of that, innovation centres really... Well, they've been going for, gosh, for 20 years, actually. Mm. They're really inspiring businesses. Do, do you change 
you know, periodically go, right, we've been there long enough, let's go to another one, or do some of them stay on forever? Or yes, some uh, we've had, um, we, all our farmers we have a, a long-term relationship with, but some of them step down as demonstration farms, so we're always looking for new demonstration farms. They are, as I said, they really can do farmers, and their capability to communicate and be happy to share information to really drive change, because we've got some big challenges coming around the corner. If there's any farmers out there who thinks, well, do you know what, I feel I have a gift for communicating to schools, to people, I'm already trying to follow the practices, you know, what would they do in order to try and become one of your farms? Well, our demonstration farms are very much farmer-to-farmer businesses, so for them, that's a key aspect. But if there are farmers that are keen to be part of that technology drive, innovation drive, and really sort of... You know, it's not that difficult to predict the future. I know that's rocky and it's uncertain, but there are some really clear streams as to what we should be doing. So if there are farmers who think, you know, yes, I'd be really interested to be in that space, then they're the demonstration farms. For the education piece, we merged with another charity two and a half years ago, which was FACE, Farming and Countryside Education, and we now have LEAF Education. So if there are people who are particularly interested on the school children piece, then we're doing a lot of work training and supporting farmers with CVAS training, which is how to kind of make sure that your events are curriculum ready. We also do a lot of teacher training, particularly initial teacher training, to give teachers the confidence to actually go out onto farm or to communicate with farmers and use, you know, the wealth of what we have in a farming sector to actually support and ameliorate their curriculum. Do, do you have to go to the teachers or do you say, right, because getting teachers in their fairly tight schedules to come, that's, that's the issue, isn't it? They're... Oh, very much so, yes. And teachers have, you know, we have a very urban society mm-hmm. and so very many teachers are just not, familiar and they're concerned because gosh what's relevant out on a farm that I can so, uh, so how do you get how do you say look you know let's go to Birmingham which is the nearest yes, place to Stanley yes. how do we get to these schools no one from any of these schools have ever contacted us do you send a letter or knock on the door or yes I mean we're building increasingly relationships as leaf education with teachers we have this great thing you might have heard of Tom Martin we work in partnership with him and Village Farm on farmer time And we've now got 500 schools, over 500 schools, paired with over 500 farmers. Farmer time, is that a TV program? Uh, No, no, it's it's like, uh, it's where farmers go into the school virtually. So they will use their phone and they will transmit from being on the farm onto the whiteboard in the school classroom. The farmer will have a a little bit of a conversation at the beginning of the week with the teacher saying, what are you covering? And it may be something in physics. And they say, oh, that's good. You know, we're doing some... Oh, wow. So a weekly or monthly... Or bi-weekly? Or yes, yes. I mean, it depends what the arrangement is. But quite a lot of them now are weekly. It may mm-hmm. be a 15-minute slot, maybe on a Friday, for example. And the farmer will make sure it's relevant. It's great. The children love yeah, it. No, I can imagine. They may name the dog or they may sort of start getting into really detailed conversations. And, you know, we've now got a big range from primary school right up to A-level students and GCSE students in particular. Because we have got such a capability through farming so to c- touch everything with really strong relevance. If some of our you know, locals wanted to appear on farmer time in the county, what would they have to do? Oh, get in touch with LEAF. That would be just brilliant because we've, we've now actually starting to get more teachers 
then we have got farmers. So we're pairing up, doing this pairing up. And uh, Right, guys, you heard it. Some of you are performers, you might not think you are. And some of you put the basic principle of what you do across better than any academic. Believe me, you need to be brave enough to do this because, one, you'll enjoy it. Two, the kids will think you're some sort of superstar. And, and I think you'll, it'll be rewarding. So get in contact with Leaf on that one. That's a good start. Brilliant. Thank you. So let's go back to the conference then. I mean, the, the challenges of the future. The first thing that Emily Norton spoke about, carbon, the value of carbon. Yes. And I kept thinking to myself, do you know what? Farmers need to hold out a bit before they sell that carbon, don't they? Yes. I think there's a lot of confusion around what's the baseline? How is it going to be traded? Who mm. owns it? Yeah. There are starting to be some big markets in this area. But, you know, what are you, what are you selling? Is it organic matter status? If you have a wet year, if your organic matter goes down, do you pay things back? Is it a one-off payment? So I think there's a lot of unknowns. And there's an element of there's a pie that's suddenly been invented. And when there's a pie that's been invented, there's lots of people who are going to help you earn it, aren't there? Do you know what I mean by that? Mm. You know, every land agent is going to say, oh, we'll do a scheme, or every merchant, or goodness knows. So there'll be some person who turns up, he goes, right, come to us and we'll do the best deal we can for you. And farming could become fragmented, and you have some people who earn a lot less than possibly they could. Yes, or somebody else earns the money and the farmer doesn't. (laughs) So how do we, how do we, how can we make that? I I think, uh, I mean, the big thing is going to be the importance of improving organic matter status, the importance of embedding carbon, the efficiency that that drives as a farm business strategy is absolutely critical, Mm. regardless of the payment. It should be a core part of farm business. And that doesn't mean that a farmer will be poorer as a result of it in the long term. I think the payment schedule is... I would hold back a bit, mm. unless you think you've got a winning deal. Yeah, but, we always do. Which some people There's do. There's a tenner. <laughs> Take it. But I think, you know, we don't know if that's going to be supported through Elms. We don't know if it's investment companies. We don't know if it's almost biodiversity offsetting type mm. approaches, carbon offsetting. And when you look currently now where a lot of people are doing their carbon offsetting, it's often in buying trees in Ecuador. Yeah which is fine because they're much quicker growing and so therefore the carbon capture is, is much faster. Hmm. So it's, you know, yeah, it's, so, it's just so trying to nice work out. So airline can buy a few trees in Ecuador and, hey, they're carbon neutral. Mm. What a fantastic value that is. Mm. But, you know, outsourcing to Ecuador, is that is that is there something carbon, you know, less carbon good than doing it in Norfolk? Do you know what I mean? Closer to home, getting it to happen here? We, we need to make it happen here. Hmm. It needs to be recognised. And I, I think... The bag of what we have as a sector, you know, of course, it's quality production of food, whether yeah. it be wheat, whether it be sugar beet, whether it be barley, whether it be beef or, or a few dairy cows, obviously, and and, uh, and sheep. I think there are addition. There's a huge amount of additionality now. It is the biodiversity. It is the opportunity of carbon. See, and this is all dancing in linking environment and farming. Is this is all your area, isn't it? The expertise you have, the experience you have. And all of this sudden opportunity that's there, and yet it's a threat, and yet it's a worry. It's it's you must be trying to think of ways of bringing it together. Is you, are you the organisation to do it? I think we're one of the organisations because our farmers are so go ahead, and we have got some really practical solutions. And I think my, one of my favourite sayings is, "When all's said and done, there's a lot more said than done." <laughs> 
And the reality is here, we need to do, and we need to do fast. And we have, as an organisation, a lot of you know, exemplar case studies of what can be done and what should be done. We don't have all the answers, and I think we're starting to move into a completely different area where we need new, completely new and radical answers. Mm. Um, and I talked about briefly today around the health agenda Mm. where, as an industry, we really should be part of the solution to improved health. Yeah, without buying tablets. Is what it was the, yes, exactly. The your, gut, your gut health and the food, that you, the vegetables and stuff we could grow in this country, Yes, which makes us the good guys. That dynamic, it's the opportunities there, isn't it? Definitely. It's who grabs it? How do we, we grab it? Is the question. Yes, and, and, and we've got to be inventive. We have 2030. 2030 is where we have to have delivered against the Sustainable Development Goals, mm. the Paris Agreement targets. Mm. And so there's some, there's some very strong drivers. That, make, that reminds me of one, your, your analogy of the seven days. Just go through your... Oh. The figure <laughs> right, on. Just, right, no, yes. no, that's, that's excellent. So, uh, yes, on, on Monday we wanted uh, quantity. On Tuesday we wanted quantity and cheapness on... Wednesday, quantity, cheapness and quality. Thursday, quantity, cheapness, quality and traceability. Friday, we bring in the environment. Saturday and Sunday, you know, carbon, climate change mitigation. We almost sort of go back to thinking we just need food. But the reality is that we're always wanting something more and therefore our expectation... uh, Well, farmers are always delivering more. Indeed. For the same price. Yes. In effect, that is the gripe, isn't it? But the dynamic of all of that is they've had to come up with a product that is actually what's required, and lots of other places are not doing the same amount of things that we do. Mm. And in the end, I thought the message I felt was that if you are not following all of the correct practices, it counts against your carbon footprint, it counts against your social or sustainable behaviour, and therefore you get a black mark as a major company. Yes. So the UK farmer is actually well on very very much so yes yeah so it's, it's kind of positive i think it boils back down to how the argument is made over the weekend the government advisor came out with a there's no need for farmers mm. leaked emails major contributor great mate of cummings's and he's he's in there giving advice used to be in defra and this guy is it's just his opinions says says the government <laughs> yeah but he's still there whispering in everybody's ear how do you argue with that well, I, I think we know the answer, and uh, you know it's like the, the wonderful saying, which is, "Forget nature, it'll go away." And the reality is, you know, forget the rural infrastructure and farming, and they will not be able to sustain. And we and we lose that at our peril, because the value of what farmers deliver is the biodiversity. It delivers the carbon sequestration. It delivers the rural infrastructure. And although you say you're not a farmer yourself, actually, what farming brings as a whole is a is a wealth of infrastructure, businesses, small and large, mm. that are really committed to making sure we have safe, available food on a day-to-day basis that is responsibly produced with huge ethics and values. And, you know, that's it's not just the farm. Well, it is the farmer that often delivers it on the ground, but it's supported by a whole infrastructure of the industry who are hungry to drive change. Absolutely. I mean, this this is a site, this is a grain store. We're, we're up at Holcomb. We manage the store for Holcomb. They have three employees in the store where there used to just be one. That's three people employed within an industry purely through grain trading. We've got other sites with full-time employees yeah. that historically wouldn't have been there as a specific. So there is infrastructure 
infrastructure because farmers grow grain and we have storage contracts and stuff that gives them the opportunity to make a living from the village here, which is where they live, which, which, which gives the community something. But the dynamic of the throwaway you know, email that says farmers no use held in London in Whitehall where they don't touch the size and say, come and see the coast or something. We argue, we squeal, we wave our hands. The argument has to be put in a way that makes them realise that perhaps, instead of being defensive is my point, Mm. we need to be more, well, what do you eat, quinoa? Where does that come from? How many miles does that travel? Can the locals afford to buy quinoa because you can afford to buy it in London? Oh, you haven't mentioned that. You don't want to talk about that. You want to just talk about us being terrible. The argument needs to be much more profoundly yes. put. Well, the simple lies and complicated truth yeah. type agenda. Yeah, uh, how, how do we get to own the media? And, and I think we need more evidence. We, well, we've got the evidence. information, but we need to collate that much more effectively. We need to drive it in terms of articulating what farming delivers mm. to our economy, what food delivers to our economy, and actually a little bit of how we would, you know, going back to we would be the poorer for it, both from an economic perspective, Mm. but also a social infrastructure perspective. Does social infrastructure count in the countryside? Uh, Well, it it does. I mean, if you look at the huge challenges now around mental health, Mm. it is the complexity of so many things associated with modern life. Mm. And there is increasing evidence and substantial evidence that clearly demonstrates if you connect with nature, if you are outside, your mental health and well-being is vastly improved. And I think, you know, that's that whole area of how we hold some of the real nuggets of life, Mm. of health. Mm. Yes. You know, that's what farming is there for. It is part of, you know, your Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's the bottom rung of of the foundation Mm. of how we produce our food. And fine, we can, you know, produce a bit of hipster food in terms of... uh, vertical farming, but actually increasing evidence has demonstrated that it's the nutritional aspects that's often reflected from healthy soils as well Mm. that we have in our food that brings the nutrition within our own gut. We're only 10% human. 90% of the the gut flora and fauna is what drives our capability for our whole body, which is a miracle, you know, to be alive. What we grow, the consistency of what we grow out there, you know, that is a miracle. Mm. And we often take all of this for granted. No, off, we always. Yeah. Constantly. Here yes, I am we taking, constantly take it for granted. Yeah, you know, an extra... I made sure I had an extra set of sandwiches to feed my gut. <laughs> so I'm a little bit more... <laughs> it was very tasty. If not a bit more round. <laughs> so if you, had the, if you had the perfect scenario for, you know, the next 10 years of LEAF, what would, yes. it, what would it be? Where well, would it go? we're just planning our, our strategy at the moment. And um, I think... We're very well placed as an organisation. We've got, you know, really good foundations. We've got good demonstration farmer network and management tools, such as the Leaf Sustainable Farming Review. We run Leaf Mark, which is a clear demonstration of where farmers have gone the extra mile for delivering good environmental practices. And I think we will see, and we will have to see, because government doesn't have the time, so therefore we've got to be really intelligent how we push some of the new approaches of trust, relationship and delivery. And that will be through the use of farm assurance schemes such as LeafMark in the earned recognition piece, but also as evidence to demonstrate where farmers have gone the extra mile. So LeafMark is a very valuable tool in that 
space, mm-hmm. and we will see that grow. We're already in 27 different countries. 40% of UK fruit and veg is leafmark certified. We're just short of a million acres that is leafmark certified. So we've got a growing demonstration of really good quality food and being an international standard it means anything imported with leafmark meets the same requirements that is rec- yeah, asked of our farmers which is so key so you're in the states looking at their chickens and uh, <laughs> <laughs> should we leave yeah, that one so we'll leave that one yes <laughs> but i think you know the values that i mean that's that's a very good example it is the values that are held dear to us by consumers and by farmers are things that we should not compromise on no that's where we're all worried stroke frustrated stroke you Mm. know it's just at the moment seems so unfair the argument seems to be shouting into the wind with the media coming Mm. in the opposite direction growing meat in test tubes and ah yeah no i mean well um, you know nothing is ever fair so therefore all we can do is make sure that we are really in control of the things that matter to us and drive those effectively i love your optimism you just that's why you (laughs) you know whenever you see caroline speak there's always optimism you always feel uplifted by the end of it even the darkest (laughs) hour so no credit to you the other piece that's going to be really important over the next 10 years is engaging with consumers. Ah. So Open Farm Sunday is mm. really important. That's, you know, over a quarter of a million people go out on Open Farm Sunday this year, 7th of June. Things like farmer time, and you know, thank you for that wonderful plug. The whole education piece. But I think there will be radically different and new ways of communicating with the public. And we need to be really open to them. So if you think back 10 years ago and, you know, how we communicate, activities change. If I go back to where we started at LEAF, our first LEAF audit, which is now the LEAF Sustainable Farming Review, was carbon copy paper. <laughs> and, you know, it's gone through little, those little square yeah, yeah, discs, yeah. then the CD-ROM, and now it's interactive, whiz-whiz, online, automatic benchmarking, action plans, links to wonderful information. So technology changes, and I think we really need to embrace, you know, like you're doing your podcast, brilliant. How modern is that, eh? Yeah, it's cool. (laughs) (laughs) But we need to embrace how we communicate to a younger generation, to new generations, and, you know, to existing generations. There's been a generation missed, without a doubt, but you're right. The upside of all of this food obsession is the fact that people are looking at it as a subject now. They really are studying it at Mm. school. It's become topical. It's become important to the Love Island guests that you had on your slide. You know, their bodies are their temple, and they look at every single nutrient they put in their body. You start coming up with some facts about the gut, about vegetables, about, in fact, take that tablet. It costs you money, and it doesn't do you as much good as eating these things. It will evolve. If that's true, the Love Island guests will all be eating sprouts and farting on TV, won't they? (laughs) I'll probably do that already. I don't have much to recently. I think also it's that whole area of personalised prescriptions and personalised diets that are starting to come through as well. And so people are getting a bit more cute about what they should be but, eating. And within that mix is, the, is the, the other, the bit in between the consumer physically eating it and the consumer that we sell to, the uh, manufacturer of foods, the person who collates it, puts it together and mm. packages it or whatever. It can't all just be you know neat vegetables from the farm, which is fine. Mm. But those people are going to need to have a carbon footprint and a sustainable footprint to prove and they're going to need the dynamic of Open Farm Sundays to sell their story as much as anything else, aren't they? They're not, they don't have to be involved right now because it's your problem, farmers. Yeah. But 
you know, the reality is they do need to be involved. They do need to actually actively be involved for their product to look good. Mm. I mean, we've got a national food strategy due to be sort of launched by the end of the year. And that has the potential to really start putting in the... This is what your food strategy, your government... Government. So we've got... Henry. They actually put the word food in this, have they? They've yes. <laughs> so there is Henry Dimbleby's working on it at the moment. Okay. He did the school food project, mm-hmm. which was a very strong driver for school meals. Okay. And so what this is now looking at is what would a national food strategy look like? And we haven't had one of those since, I think, 1942. No, well, this is the moment, isn't it? Absolutely Great. key, yes. It's, it's who puts that together. If it's Dominic Cummings' mate, then it ain't going to help anybody, is it? No, but I think the, uh, there's an opportunity for everybody to be part of the conversation, mm. and, and Henry Dimbleby's really pushing on that. But I think what's absolutely key is, as an industry, we truly work out what we can deliver in the food space. And I think, you know, the other thing that we're looking at a lot at the moment as an organisation is the circular economy piece mm-hmm. and circular agriculture. So how do we really embrace the sort of the situation of making farming kind of less leaky. Yeah. Um, and whilst we're doing the food piece, there's another piece which is around, or the farming piece rather, there's another bit around the food dynamic, the health dynamic, the education perspective, you know, and the logistics. So we need each part of, whether it be the food chain or our life, to be really looking at a more rounded approach. Well, on, on, a mic- on a micro level, you know, we have this store up here at Holcomb. We've managed to get a load of local malting barley growers to, instead of travelling, you know, when grain is traded, it can go anywhere on a lorry. Mm-hmm. I mean, the lorry's going past the window now. That could, have been, that could have been picked up in Essex to come up here. And the reality is there's exactly the same quality wheat or feed barley in the barn 200 yards across the road. And what on earth is that lorry doing? travelling 120 miles with something because within their organisation that's where they've got some bought and they've got to move it. Why isn't there a much more local thought-through process of, no, let's get it centrally stored, let's get it located near to consumption. The volume of diesel that you could save if you oh. really... <laughs> yes. But that's, you know, it's going to get down yes. to that micro level, isn't it? Because the cost Definitely. of fuel is going to be restrictive. Yes, I mean, and the big thing, we've got to stop digging fossil fuel out of the ground at mm. the end of the day. And that's, you know, that's going to be driving our capability to be carbon neutral mm. or really in terms of actually making a positive difference. Mm. We're not going to live long enough to see the real benefits of our thoughts, are we? That's the problem. <laughs> Do you know what, Caroline? We could run on for hours this afternoon, couldn't we? There's so many things oh, here. Oh, yes. <laughs> There's the, you know, your enthusiasm, the way you reel facts off. You're a very infectiously optimistic person. And, and uh, you know, you've inspired and carried leave through and you've passed the, the glory to everybody else, all your previous chairmen, all the people who work with you. But you so deserved your MBE. Oh, thank and, you. And, <laughs> you know, I, next time I hear you speak, I know I'll enjoy it again. So, you know, and I'm really grateful for you spending an hour of your time with us. So thank you so much for coming along and, and doing our nearly famous podcast. Oh, thank you very much indeed. Always love coming to Norfolk. Brilliant place. Great farming. And thank you very much. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they're released. Dew and Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, we can supply you with the best strategies to help you achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Call now on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewandgrain.co.uk or follow us on Twitter. We are at Dewing Grain.
The Dewing Grain Podcast is produced by Tinshed Productions in conjunction with East Coast Design Studio.